When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the A to Z Sports Predge NASCast, a.k.a. the podcast that really likes the chances it's getting, but just needs to start putting pucks in the net. I'm your host, Alex Darty, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Link. Today on the show, we will talk about another disappointing week for the Preds. Two losses sandwiched around a dramatic two-goal, com- two-goal comeback in Florida. The Preds just continue to prove how average or maybe below average they are. Um, we will also discuss the main topic on the show is going to be about, uh, how responsible David Poyle is for all these inconsistencies we've seen on the ice. That is a huge part of this spread season is how inconsistent they are. How responsible is David Poyle? Because there's been a lot of people saying that, and I, I think it's worth diving into. And then, uh, of course we will look ahead to the Preds as the Preds play four home games in six days this week. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. Um, but before we get going, how was your week link and how are you doing? I am, uh, you know, here today to put in the full, full, uh, you know, 45 minutes to, you know, get some pucks deep and, you know, go to the, the hard places on the ice and, 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 you know, you know, do the things, you know, you got to do to, um, you know, get the, get the puck in the net and, and, you know, we got to score some goals and, you know, make some, some good points, uh, you know, about the natural predators today. So, uh, I, I think we got to. Uh, you know, do what the the coach is asking us to do. You know, you know uh, how that is, and uh, not let him wear it. And uh, you know, I think you know we can uh, start winning some hockey games. You've really got to stay out of the box today. You you got to stay out of the box. And, you know, it's uh, harder. It's it, it. Yeah, yeah. You're you're you're. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're right. <laughs> that's it. That's that's the show. Um, the the that's predators. The, that's the show. The predators have been. Yeah. It, it it's tough to say this because I think that we've had a lot of examples of this over the years, but have been as frustrating to watch as a team as they've all, as they've ever been because of how, how just at times completely overmatched they look. I think if, if you go back to the, the Tampa Bay loss last Monday, so they, they lost five to two to Tampa on Monday. This is just after they uh, almost came back uh, in the first game against Tampa uh, they they look they looked like not even the same league. I mean, like Tampa looks so much better than them. I and mean, I know they won the cup, but it's like they they look so much better as a team, just top to bottom, from forwards to defense to goaltending. And it's just it's just kind of sad to watch like this team that you know people thought you know maybe there's a chance they made all these changes, they they cut some dead weight, they uh, they feel they they had a, a long pause. They had a full off season with with John Hines, more than a full off season with John Hines, and to come in and just be this bad early on, it's just really rough to watch. I think that it's not. I, I continue to believe that this team is not quote unquote that bad. I mm-hmm. think that they are really average. I think they're playing really average. If you take all of the penalty kill problems out of the Predators, 
they probably are firmly in a playoff space. They're firmly competing for a playoff spot about quarters way through the season. Yeah. I, I think I, that's, I, I think that. that's a given. Uh, it really is a lot of odd things happening. Uh, you know, they, they're a very middling team. They don't have a lot of offense. I know we're going to talk about that. Their defense is actually pretty good. They yeah. have not been getting goaltending from UC Soros for the past week. Um, so that's been a huge issue in some of these games where he's just not stopping pucks. And, and you know, fortunately, Rene has stepped in and, and been more stable. Uh, uh, and I think been performing probably a little bit better. Small sample size, you know, trademark small sample size. But uh, uh, certainly Saros is continuing to struggle. I mean, there's there's a reason the, the Predators were gleeful to draft a you know, number one overall goaltending pick. You don't do that unless you're these days, unless you're really confident uh, in, cause they just, they know they don't have a future in the lineup, like maybe Connor Ingram, but Saros is not staking his claim. He, I, I want the kid to be the starter. I just, he's not staking his claim still. It, it's um, really sad for me to hear you to, to say that. Oh, I am still like number one fan over here. I want him to, <laughs> to turn it around, but I just, it, it's every year. It's like, He's almost there, almost there. You can always say you almost know, there so long before you're calling Wilson. Yeah, I, I think, he, you know, uh, a number of goalies go through development issues. I, I know that, uh, you know, you follow the Flyers quite a bit. Carter Hart went through this um, with, with the Flyers, and now he's sort of put it together, and he's obviously the starter in Philly. Um, I think I think his struggles were more at the AHL level, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was more struggling down there, and then, what wasn't getting chances. So I'm just, I just, that's just a a comparison that just came out um, just off the top of my head. But you know, a number, there's a lot of teams out there that have not solved their goalie situation. Right. I mean, it's pretty rare to find you're like, Oh, this is just going to be our, our guide. He's going to be a top 10 goalie for the next 10 years or whatever. It's, you know, we've gotten spoiled because Pecorine has had that, but like, it's pretty tough to find that. Let me contextualize this a little bit. I I, I would be happy with Saros if he could put in a nine, one safe percentage pretty consistently. Yeah. But it's too often we see him well below that or giving up kind of weak goals that other goaltenders would probably get. Um, and then, but then he has his brilliant moments or then he's really on. He stops everything. Yeah. I, yeah. He just has never really solved that consistency issue. And unfortunately it seems like his, his lows are currently lower than his highs. So he pulls his averages down. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's a good way of putting it. His, his lows are definitely lower than his highs right now. There were, I mean, what were those? There were those stretches early on in his career where it was like he was, he was like a nine seven five save percentage. I mean, he was nuts. He, hell, he he was the better starting keeper to start this season in a yeah. lot of cases. Like if you take away all the penalty goals, yeah, the power play goals against his numbers look a lot better. But then you know you have him against Lightning, you have him against Florida, where he's struggling with both those teams. And I'm glad you mentioned about the defense because one thing that's frustrating to see is, is people say, "Well, the defense is bad again." I think if you if you really. actually watch what's going on, and if you if you dive down and dig a little bit deeper into the numbers, like the defense actually is better. It, it really yeah. is structurally better. Yeah, that and that I think is actually what is probably stifling the offense somewhat because you have guys like Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson and probably Ryan Johansson. Uh, as well as guys who are who like defense because they're weird, like Callie Yarncroke, who's just like who would rather play defense than do anything. I think, 
uh, it, it, guys out there who are supposed to now who have these defensive assignments and defensive responsibilities. And really they're, they've kind of been rewired. I think mm-hmm. one thing that's happened is Peter Laviolette was, was just all out, you know, transition and offense and just fire everything on the net. And it was kind of just get back when you can. Uh, it, it's very different. The, the, the forward, the, the forward thing on their mind right now is to follow the defensive structure that Hines has put in place. And I think it's working because even strength defense has, has, is at a, is at a five year low. At least it was a couple before, maybe perhaps, perhaps before uh, the first Florida game. At least that's when I did the numbers. It's somewhere like that. It's pretty low, and their their overall their expected goals are down. Uh, exp- actual goals allowed are down in terms of even strength. So yeah, you're right. It's the special teams that have killed them. And and the, to the point you made earlier, the special teams get better. Is this team a, a playoff bubble team or even just a, a solid playoff team? Probably. Yeah, I. I- and we'll get into this one in the data portal section, so I'll save all of that. But I, I'm at the point where, you know, Fabro, you know, is he going to grow into a second line defenseman? I'm actually not sure anymore. I'm starting to get in the, I'm starting to get in the boat of, hey, have we tried Matt Benning on the second pairing? Agreed. Because yeah. um, Benning, his numbers, you know, his defense and his even his going the other way, even his transition has been stronger um, than Fabro's. I, I think statistically he's he's kind of earned the shot they both are right-handed shooters um so you know, they should be able to to swap um mm-hmm. borvievsky would be great if he would stop taking penalties um yeah, right. has not been a tire fire <laughs> um so uh, you know there's a lot of things that are that are positives to take from the defense side of the team and again yeah i the number of times I want to keep saying this so that people keep this in their head. If the Predators stop taking stupid penalties constantly, they're mm-hmm. probably fighting for a playoff spot more cleanly and not, we're not having this conversation oddly enough. Right. So Tampa, the, the game last Monday, just completely. Uh, one thing that I r- realized about Tampa is I really think that Tampa is comeback proof. They are so good on, they, they pressure you constantly. Their defense is just very good. And then they have a, an elite goaltender. So it's like, if you go down against that team and they were down three goals, how, the, coming back on Tampa is almost impossible. Yeah. Who, who, goes, who goes toe-to-toe with Tampa right now? I mean, can, can you list on, like, the name, number of teams you can go toe-to-toe with Tampa? Not in this division, for sure. No, I no mean, league-wide. League-wide. Who, who can go to toe-to-toe with Tampa right now? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it would be tough. Vegas, maybe. Vegas has some similar structure I mean, and... and they're pretty good. Because if you look at any of the top teams, I'm like, I don't know. Are, am I convinced by the Bruins or the Flyers they can go toe-to-toe? Am I convinced the Avalanche are good enough to go, <laughs> you know, toe-to-toe with them? Um, it, it would be tough, yeah. Like, are are the Leafs or the Canadians going to be good enough? Like, I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe. Maybe you catch yeah. the Tampa Bay on a bad day, but... Uh, I don't know. It's going to be a really, I I'm, I'm really looking forward to the playoffs this year, regardless of the predators, because yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting with this new setup to see you know, like you're guaranteed to have a lot more Canadian representation. There's a couple good Canadian teams. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be fun. Yeah. So uh, after the Tampa game, they go to Florida I'm oh, sorry. They stay in the state of Florida, and they go to uh, the Sunrise. <laughs> they Florida go to Sunrise, Florida, the the, the famous <laughs> suburb of Sunrise, Florida. 
Yeah. And uh, in the first game, uh, the Predators are down two goals, and Philip Forsberg has a five-point night, which was just amazing to watch. He was really, really good. He got the overtime winner. It's only the fifth time in Preds history that a uh, Predators player has gotten five points on the night. No one's ever gotten six. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a great win. It, I mean, the, it was uh, it was dramatic, fun fun to watch. It was uh, very exciting. Uh, and, um, yeah, that, that's great. But then I realized that, and I, I tweeted this out before we started, uh, the Predators only have two regulation wins in 11 tries. So they have five wins. Three of them were either the shootout or overtime winners. And uh, they only have two regulation wins, and that was the first two games against Columbus. Two wins in regulation in 11 games. That is terrible. And the added problem to that is that uh, loser point Yeah, right. is so much more impactful this season than it's ever been. Because before, if they're out of division... If they're, you know, in conference, you're like, oh, you don't want to do that. In division, you never want to give them the loser point. If you're in the East, like when you would go and play a team in the East and you give them a loser point, you're like, whatever, who cares? Sure. That affects me not. But yeah. now, I mean, they've given, what, the Hawks two free points? <laughs> they've given the Panthers a free point? Like, they've given yeah, so many. They've given, yeah, three free points now because they, they're five and six. Um, oh, man. So they've given away three free points in division to all teams that are ahead of them in the standings. Yeah, and and which is why they're they're second to last in the standings. Uh, I think only above Detroit, correct? I think that's right. Um, uh, yeah, only above Detroit, and the, yeah. they're below the. I mean, the Stars are in third from the bottom, but the Stars have only played eight games. Yeah, so, so yeah, they've they're... got they've they've got a lot of room to make up. It, all the COVID protocols are making these charts hard to look. All these tables hard to look at because you're like. Jackets have played 12, Hawks have played 12, Hurricanes, Panthers, eight. Like, what's happening? Oh, yeah, people can't not, like, breathe on each other. Um, (laughs) So, Philip Forsberg just uh, builds on what is a a great season for him so far. Um, He's the the only real offensive threat for the Predators right now, Um, and he's been moved around. You know, I think think it makes sense with him and Granlund and Duchesne keep that line together. Uh, Johansson, we don't know how long he's going to be out. Uh, he was out yeah, on, hurt, uh, right. yeah. on, on Saturday. So, uh, or was that Friday? Friday, sorry. And, um, but yeah, Forsberg had a great night, but you know, they, they then follow that up the next night with a really boring kind of awful game to watch. The Predators got stifled. Florida must've changed something pretty, um, they must've kind of maybe altered their strategy a little bit, or Ryan Johansson was, uh, you know, a, a big missing part of it. Um, they, they lost two to one and there was just no room anywhere. I mean, I don't, they did not really generate much of offense, bunch yeah. of offense at all. Yeah. Um, I th- I do think they hit the post a couple times, but, um, it was, that was a pretty, pretty terrible game too. I mean, like it was very different than the Tampa game. You didn't feel like they were totally overmatched. They just couldn't, they could not generate anything. They were shuffled lines. Everything just looked a mess. Yeah. I, the When I was kind of looking, that game was hard to just focus on. And when I was looking at, look, going back and looking at it later, I was just struck by, you just needed like 10% more quality from the Nashville forwards. And it's a different game. Um, it happened to be that Florida got that quality and was able to, to you know, take it at the end. But, uh, yeah, that was 
that was kind of the Predators team I expected to see this season it was more of, of what we saw <laughs> in that game uh, last night. Yeah. No, not last night, um, Friday night. And that was, and, and Pecorine played a, a very, very good game for the Predators in net, kept them in it. That was a very typical kind of throwback for, to eight, 10 years ago where Pecorine was keeping them in it. They couldn't get any offense going. No. And, and, I don't know if you remember, but there was no, they didn't get, the Predators didn't get, not that it would have mattered, but they didn't get a power play until eight seconds left in the game or something. Playing uh, a, that should be a lesson. Play a good disciplined game and it's a lot harder to, to, to pull ahead. Yeah. Um, so, and then even after the game, John Hines sounded pretty frustrated. You know, this, he's, I've, I've watched all the, all the post games and a lot of the practice stuff from with him. He's a very just, just nice and uh, on topic and focused and gives you a lot. He, he talks up, he answers your question as best he can. He really doesn't, he, he doesn't blow you off at all in terms of like what question you've asked him. He, he was kind of the opposite of that uh, on, on Friday. He was not happy. Uh, he seemed very, <laughs> very frustrated. Very, I, very frustrated. I imagine the entire team is probably pretty frustrated. Um, you know, they, they, they keep trying things. They keep not working. Uh, I think Heinz has this tent. He, he is maybe more of a line shuffler than Pierre Laviolette, which I didn't think was a sentence I would say out loud. Because the second, like, he's shuffling lines by the end of the first period if he doesn't think it's working. Mm, um, yeah. Which is a shame in some ways, because, you know, but he's does, but he rare, but, and then he does it a little bit, um, moving Fabro up and down the lineup. Because he doesn't mm-hmm. seem to know what to do with Fabro. Maybe try putting him on the third pairing. Maybe that would be the way to do it. Because um, he hasn't tried that yet. I was just looking at lines and like, you know, Fabro just doesn't. Yeah, he just always is is mixed in the top four, pretty much. I think I remember um, hearing. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say. I think I remember hearing that about his time in New Jersey. That some some uh, some of the fans. I think maybe the SB Nation site, whatever it is for for uh, for the Devils. Yeah, no one actually knows the name of that one. <laughs> It's something like the devils in the hockey rink or something. I don't know. It's like <laughs> hell, hell on ice or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Devil, the devils in the hockey. It sounds like a warning. It's some sort of devil combination Satan <laughs> thing with with ice involved. I don't know what it is. Oh, um, but anyways, I think I remember seeing something about how they were they complained a lot about his line shuffling that he in in particular with some of the youth development, which is another thing. Like we don't know what his the we don't know what the future holds for some of these young forwards, like Philip Tomasino, Ellie Tolvanen, uh, Rem Pitlick, uh, Luke Evangelista. I mean, like uh, Afanasiev, who's over in the KHL. I I, I I don't know. We don't know the future for some of these guys. Uh, is he going to be able to develop those, those guys, which is the predators have a history of not developing yeah. forwards well. So, um, yeah. And we don't have a way to, we don't unfortunately have a good way to answer that. I, does yeah. he have, I mean, maybe there's someone who watched his career beyond New Jersey and Nashville. Who's, you know, seen him coach in other areas and says, Oh yeah, yeah he, he, did, 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 he did these guys. But I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I just get nervous because the predators philosophy is, you know, no, let let the let the kid develop. Let him play, you know, in the minors. Let him get his skates beneath him. Let him prove himself. And that yeah. process has worked great for defensemen. It has not worked for forwards. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about. Um, let Let's move to the main topic because I think this is this is a good. 
this is a good transition to, to kind of discussing the overall issues with the team because um, inconsistency has been the big issue for the team definitely this year, probably most of last year, and then even in the end of the lovely let years, even though there were other issues going on. The Predators are an inconsistent team. Um, that's that's clear. But how responsible is David Poyle for that inconsistency? Because, and I think it's a fair question because, look, David Poyle has been the most common target for a lot of angry Preds fans for um, for a while now. Even even some going back to the end of you know after the Cup run, like getting rid of or, you know not protecting James Neal and that whole thing, and then people there were people who were upset about the Shea Weber PK Subban trade. I mean, like this has been going on for a long time. Even when he was winning, you know, GM of the year, there were doubters, right? I mean, like this has been a common theme for a while, and he's been in the league for thirty five years and never won a cup or whatever. So there's been doubters. Um, so Poyle is the is the one who I think the fan base has now decided is the one to blame. For a while it was Laviolette. Uh, I think people are giving John Hines some some grace period here. It is now co- almost completely on David Poyle. You see that over and over again. Um, I'm going to ask you first how fair you think that is. I have some some points I want to make about it, but I, I kind of want to get your take first. How fair is it that that David Poyle is the one that is most responsible for the inconsistency and the struggles we're seeing on the ice. So in, in service of answering this question, I want to do a little bit of history. So back during the Barry Trotz years, I was an early voice in saying that Poyle needs to replace Barry Trotz. Now I was never frustrated or mad or, or maybe frustrated, but I was never really mad or upset or like calling for Barry Trotz's head. My perspective was that the team needs to, and is in a position to finally advance. They have more money. They have a better pipeline. Their stability. You know, they all this time that Hoyle and Trotz worked together to put out an entertaining, consistent team that was never gonna, that was rarely ever gonna be fully on the back heel. It was very admirable, but the team needed to grow beyond that, and part of that growth was getting a new coach. Not because Barry Trost is a bad coach. He's proven that he's a very good coach. It's that with the team and organization philosophy, they needed a different coach in order to advance. Right. That was Peter Laviolette. He definitely came in, brought a new mentality, advanced the team. But from day one, what we said is, as both you know, analysts of the game and fans of the game is that Laviolette has a expiration date. He has everywhere he goes. So we knew that we his did a time show would on come. that. We did. We talked about that. On yeah. The show. Yeah. Um, we knew his time would come. It was inevitable. It was just a matter of, do we get a cup in Nashville before that point comes? Right. Team came very close, obviously. Won a lot. Well, actually won some, some hardware in the, in the process. Yeah. While he was getting accolades. It was great. Uh, but here, but that's the point where, I started questioning Poyle more directly later in the Laviolette years and then into the Heinz years. Uh, because you know, we talked about this maybe last week or, or the week prior. It's hard when you're doing weekly shows to always remember when you talked about things. Uh, um, you know, where I, I start looking at Poyle's decision-making and his responsibility for things and really calling it into question because he, I believe... He has a philosophy of running a hockey team. And I think that that goes, that carries from him 
to the coaching staff, to the players. I, 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 a sports team is not that different from any other workplace in a lot of ways. The CEO, the guy in charge, yeah, drives a lot of the culture, whether that's a culture of paranoia, support, et cetera. Leadership matters, and that starts at the head in most cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think you do have to look at how Poyle has run the Predators since day one. And you can see that how he's running it today is not all that different. He has more resources. That's the only difference is he has yeah. more resources. Right. Um, and he also has, and this is, I know this is kind of a stupid thing to say, so bear with me. He also has probably the worst coach in Predators history. Now there's three, there's three the of them. The worst what? Coach. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's three to work with. So, I mean, yeah. this is not like we're yeah, right, right, right. a dramatic statement. It's like a little bit silly, but it's easily the worst coach in Predators history at the moment. Now, maybe Hines has a renaissance and figures I'm things out. Cu- I'm just, I'm just going to cut that, and that's going to be out of context quote from, from Link. Yeah, that's Link, perfect. Link says, John Hines is the worst coach in Predators history, and I'm yeah. just going to put that out there. Yeah, but Poyle hired Hines for a reason. There were a lot. There were other good qualified candidates out there. He went for Hines, a more unproven guy, a guy who does not have a history of winning hockey games, and brings him in to say you're gonna you're gonna help take this team to the to the level I want it to be at. Uh, the way he acquires and measures personnel has not really changed. People look at it and they say, "Oh, he's lost his touch." It hasn't really changed. Now, maybe his ability to evaluate. And value players today is a little different because the game is, has shifted. But I don't. I mean, I, I think you know maybe that's part of it. Because um, I was looking at okay, how has David Poyle's off-season acquisitions impacted the team? Well, Cunning and Hala have been whatever. Who cares? They've been pretty bad. I mean, Cunin has two goals, but. I think he's almost lucky to have two goals in some cases. Halle is a non-factor. Borvievsky um, would be great, but he keeps, but he has penalty issues where he, he he's been out of the lineup because he's taking too many penalties. Um, you know, and Richardson and and Cousins have both been defensively great, uh, but they don't fix the problem the Predators have, which was offense, which was losing all the goals they lost in the offseason in trades, uh, and. Frankly, Poyle was lucky that Granlin was willing to come back, that no one wanted Granlund, <laughs> that, and he was able to come back. So, I mean, it was a little bit fortunate because granlin has been a high performer. Uh, you know, it's the classic saying, the fish kind of rots from the head, and I, I think Poyle is just out of ideas, and it's falling into the rest of the team. The team and the organization just looks like it's out of new ideas. Mm. And is Poyle a bad general manager? No. I mean, there's some horrible general managers out there. Yes. Like the, the, the measure of a good general manager is making the fewer, making fewer mistakes than the other general managers. Like, it's not about like, there's a few that are great and really effective. I mean, look what happened in Tampa. I mean, and what they've built down there, mm-hmm. but at the sea, but you look at a lot and they make some really bad decisions. They keep getting hired. So Poyle, I think is a, is a good GM overall. I just I, think, I think he, he's, he's just done his, I think his career is just done. It's time. that was, I mean, a lot of that was so spot on. And I think in particular, the part about you saying that he, he just has more resources now. And when you have more resources, there's more of a spotlight. And when you, when you don't hit on some of those big resources, like when you go and sign Matthew Shane for 56 million 
and it doesn't work out very well. When you go and make a sign and trade with Kyle Turris and then have to buy him out. Uh, when you make trades like the Kevin Fiala for Mikhail Granlin and it doesn't work out, when you maybe, at least initially, the Nick Bonino, Luke Cunning trade, uh, when you make picks that don't work out, uh, it, there, there's, I, I think that, that that is a huge part of this. My take is, I just think that he's, you know, you said you said general managers have to make less mistakes than the other general managers. That's a good way of putting it. I think it's just you need to have more hits than misses. You need to have a lot more top 40 hits than tracks that don't go anywhere, right? I mean, if you're a musician, you want to have as many, you know, you want to have – there's, there's been a lot, of, a lot of musicians out there that have had one hit and a bunch of duds, one-hit wonders. David Poyle is turning into a one-hit wonder because he's not hitting on any of these. I mean, mm-hmm. the last – big hit that he had and a couple of these are debatable right i mean like the the shea weber for pk suban worked for the first two years three three years well two years maybe just one year <laughs> because give, give it two give it two yeah let's say two years because yeah because they went to the cup and then he won the norris and then or sorry he gave him third in the norris sorry uh and then that was it and meanwhile shea weber, shea weber was like out with an injury so worked for two years then it didn't work uh, the, the biggest hit is obviously the Philip Forsberg trade. It's like the Philip Forsberg trade is they, he's been riding on that, on that momentum for a long time and hasn't yeah. even come close to that. Now that's a pretty big, you know, that's, that's a, that's a crown jewel, right? But so I want to just, I want to contextualize that real quick because is the Philip Forsberg trade a hit for Poyle or is it a, is it a miss for, um, God, who was the GM at the time? Uh, wasn't it uh, George McPhee? George McPhee. I thought it was McPhee. Because I think I, I would give that more of that's McPhee not valuing his assets because they and were down on Forsberg and like and decided, yeah, and they yeah. and they just wanted to win a cup. So yeah, no, so. you're right, you're right about that. That's a, that's a good point. So uh, and and that kind of fits with what you're saying. I just think that there's way too many misses. I mean, and there's huge. No, I don't think you can blame him for the massive drop in production from certain guys like Duchesne, Johansson, Kyle Turris when he came on board. I. That some of that is unexplainable. I mean, I don't know exactly why the Kyle Turris thing didn't work out. It just didn't. Uh, Matt Duchesne, I have no idea why he's had a uh, a pretty dramatic drop in his like points per production. I guess he's just getting older. Maybe that's part of it. But almost every trade has not worked out in Nashville's favor. There's like maybe the Connor Ingram is probably the only one, right? I mean, he got a seventh round pick for Connor Ingram. That's a really good deal. Uh, Almost every trade has not worked out for for the last five, ten years. Not ten years, five, five, six years. He's had just some really inexplicable signings. I mean, some signings where you're like, "Why would you do that?" Uh, I'm not even going to go back to the, the the big one that we probably don't want to even talk about. But uh, Austin Watson, that that extension made no sense. I mean, and they even announced it in the middle of a game because they knew it didn't make any sense. Uh, Bringing Mike Fisher out of retirement was such a desperation, just PR move. Didn't make any sense. Bringing Dan Hamus back on the back end of his career, and he was just basically a, a, a turnstile back there for mo- most of those two years. Even the the Brad Richardson thing, like they they go out and they talk about how they're going to have this youth movement, and then they go and sign Brad Richardson. It's like you got to be harder to play against, right? You got to be harder to play against. Yeah. So, and, and then I already mentioned the Kyle Turris thing, the trade and sign. I, I think this is this is one too. Look, firing a coach midseason, that's not a bad move. I think it was the right move. 
hiring one and extending him beyond that year in the middle of a season, that was weird. Like, don't not giving John Hines a trial period, maybe just elevating a, an assistant and seeing just just gutting it out for that season. Wait until the summer to find out what you've what's on the market. I mean, there were several coaches. Pete DeBoer was one that lost his job. Gerard, uh, Gallant um, lost his job. Uh, there were, of course, there were some other options that were no go. Mike Babcock, they're not going to do that. They, they don't. They don't need to do that. Um, I feel like that Poyle would find a way. Yeah, <laughs> but so, but anyways. that's a bad decision. And then like, you know, the forward development from the beginning of this franchise, except for like Scott Hartnell, that's like the, the, the exception. Uh, And then I guess you could say Philip Forsberg, even though they didn't, that was kind of a different situation. Uh, Very suspect. Look, I mean, they, they, what are they going to do with Tolvin and what, 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 how do they see him? It makes me very worried for someone like Philip Tomasino, because that kid is really good. And if they screw that up, that's, that's a that's a that's a franchise changer, right? I mean, like that guy could be a top line centerman in this league, but if they screw it up, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be really bad. Yeah, I, 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 I think people underplay the impact of the GM on the team play, and <laughs> this goes back to culture and philosophy, um, and. That this is why I think you, the the team at, from top to bottom just needs an overhaul. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I think it's a matter of how much do you respect the fan base and their ability to weather an overhaul. You know, Buffalo had you know you, you look at like Buffalo and and other teams who have gone through rebuilds and some who say come out and say yeah we're going to have to go through a rebuild. You know, the question is can you do you think you can your fan base can weather that and you keep getting the revenue you need? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know. I feel I feel a little bit bad judging Poyle so harshly. And this is why I kind of I, I go to I think his time is up just because the you know he's out of ideas he's like the out of ideas thing and it's mm-hmm. maybe just time to move on. Because this is also a weird season where the Predators are not able to capture the same revenues they would normally expect. Because the Predators are gonna you know, they were anticipating twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one being sold out houses every day. Every you know every game sold out house, um, and now they're just not seeing those revenues, those gate revenues. So what do you what do you do? Well, you need to have your team be watchable, so that you can get so you know fans are watching the team, so that advertisers know fans are watching the team and seeing the ads. So you are trying to get as much revenue as you can. If you come out and you say, well, we have to rebuild this team, you're probably not going to get. You know, what are, what are, are you really going to be able to pull in the same ad money? That's that's a really good point, and uh, I, I guess I didn't really hadn't thought about that. I mean, you have to consider that it is a business, but I did want to mention this. So I, I also was talking about you know more hits than misses. Um, one of the hits, uh, or oh, I'm sorry, one of the misses. If you go back to all right, so so for a long time there, David Poyle was chasing Matt Duchesne, right? So in, in 2017. He's trying to go after Matt Duchesne. He can't make it work with Colorado. Uh, Ottawa has their situation with Kyle Turris. And if you rewind the clock to that, you know, the the Predators were very much involved in that. I mean, obviously the three-way trade, but like they wanted Matt Duchesne. That was pretty clear. They couldn't make it work with Colorado. Colorado wanted a lot. Colorado ended up getting a lot from Ottawa. And then Ottawa sends Kyle Turris to Nashville, and they sign him to this six-year excuse me, six year deal. 
So he misses Matt Duchesne then. Now, if he gets Matt Duchesne then, that 2017-18 team and the 18-19 team with Matt Duchesne, the way he produced those years, they are a much, much better team with Matt Duchesne on the second line than Kyle Turris. Uh, so that's one thing. Then the other thing is, if you remember, they were, you know, David Poyle chasing again. He's trying to go after Mark Stone. So in, and that's the 2019, so the 2019, uh, February of 2019 trade deadline, he's going after Mark Stone uh, as a way to, you know, this is before they signed Matt Duchesne, and he's chasing Mark Stone because he needs someone to find. Uh, or, I'm sorry, he, need, he needs to get that elite forward. Uh, I think the, those two misses, not getting Matt Duchesne the first time in 2017 and not getting Mark Stone in February of 2019 is probably the biggest miss that he had, uh, probably two of the biggest misses, and he chased those, right? He had to go then sign Matt Duchesne in the offseason, and Mark Stone now looks like, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a lethal goal scorer. I mean, he's an incredible offensive talent. If the Predators have Matt Duchesne and, uh, and or Mark Stone in those, those 17, 18, 19 years, they're a much better team. So I just because I was mentioning hits and misses, those are two more misses I wanted to throw out there. Yeah. But that's sort of like the history. I mean, if you look at the Hall of Fame of, of Predators offseason superstar signings, <laughs> it's like the biggest name on there is probably Matt Duchesne. And everyone knows he was never not coming to Nashville. Yeah, he's, right. He's yeah. been trying to talk his way into Nashville for his entire career, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just more hits than misses. Uh, he def- David Poyle has had more misses than hits right now is, is my is my take on it. Um, your, your point about having a lot of resources. Yeah, I mean, like he never had look er- early on. Of course, there's the, 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 the Paul Correa, Jason Arnott s- series, J.P. Dumont, all that stuff that happened uh, in just after the lockout. Look, that was a different league. I mean, that was a that was a different league entirely. And uh, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> so uh, you can't really equate those things. And the contracts were different. I mean, I don't even remember what the Paul Korea contract was, but it wasn't that it wasn't crazy. Um, that just totally different league now. And he, I, I don't know how much you can blame the inconsistencies, but you can blame the lack of success on yeah. David Poyle. That's for sure. Now you meant, you already mentioned I'm gonna that, say it one more time. Go ahead. Poyle hires the coach. The coach runs the team. If the way the coach is running the team has the team playing poorly because he mm-hmm. can't run a because he can't get the penalty kill fixed, he yeah. can't get the power play fixed because he he can't get his lines straight. Yeah, yeah. it's on the coach. But who hired the coach? Like, <laughs> you know, when there were other options, I I just I think people people for some reason it's like. It's like when you're on Twitter and someone's like defending the CEO of a multi of a multi billion dollar corporation. It's like, why are you defending that guy? Mm-hmm. Like, right. he's an asshole. Like, what are you doing? Um, not to say Poyle's an asshole. He's a, he's obviously a very good person. <laughs> um, right, right, right. So not not that's there's there's another thing we need to take out of context. No, I think I think we understand. Right, I'll cut that one out. Uh, all right, so uh, before we get to the, the the last little section, I did want to get to some Twitter questions because I threw out a, uh, a Twitter post um, before the show. And we have some questions, so let's, let's go through these pretty quickly here. Um, <clears throat> first, uh, Kyle Perkins at KPerk86 says, what to do in the absence of Ryan Johansson, a.k.a. can we bring up Phil, meaning Phil Tomasino? 
uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think that uh, what was wasn't <clears throat> wasn't Callie Yarncroke the second line center on on uh, on Saturday, Friday? I think, he, I think he was. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I'd have to check the lines again to see what happened there. But I mean, what do you do in the absence of Ryan Johansson? I, just I don't know. You're John Hines. I'm gonna I'm putting myself in John Hines's head. Uh, you know, just start rolling different centers through the second line and hope for the best. That seems to be the philosophy. I mean, I don't know that there is a offensive center that is currently on the third line that you really, really fill that role in any way. Um, yeah. you know, last year it would have been, oh yeah, just put Nick Benino up there. No problem. Yeah. Yarn against uh, against Florida, the second game without Johansson, Yarncroke was the second line center with Grimaldi and Arvidsson. Eric Hollow was a center, and then Sissons was on the bottom line with Trennan and Olivier. So, um, I, I I don't think any of that worked. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. Like, there's this team is just purely depth at this point. Uh, when you outside of like a very set number of players, like maybe five players. On the, yeah, on the point about bringing up Phil Tomasino, uh, I've talked about this before, but um, I think people need to just go back and look at the track record of of how they deal with really young forwards. Like he's Phil Tomasino's nineteen years old; he's not going to come up and be a, an everyday starter. Like it's just not yeah. going to happen. And he's going to need some adjustment time. Like he needs some time, you know, some safe, protective minutes just to get used to the speed, uh, yeah. to get used to his role think- expectations. I, I do think he will make his debut this year. I think he'll he'll, he'll play this at some point this season. Um, if he plays more than, let's see, if he plays more than ten games, I would be shocked. I think he plays like six games this year. Maybe yeah, I, honestly, I, the question is: is it does it happen after the Predators? If the Predators get in a position where they're not going to make the playoffs, do you bring him up and just get him, get his leg, let him get his legs underneath him? That's a good point. Yeah. Could, could it happen? And if it happens, then maybe he does play more because they yeah. want to get him some time out there. But um, the other question we had was uh, from our good buddy, Dan Bradley. And he says, I've long held a theory that a left-handed winger would unlock Johansson's shooting. Hmm. Who was another left-handed winger that the Predators did not protect in the 2017 expansion draft? Uh, <laughs> um, James Neal. Sorry. I was just Oh, got it. Okay, we had a cut out there for a minute, but I was talking. I was just making a reference to James Neal. Because... Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's this total, totally like to, you know, this is a total like non sequitur. Um, well, not entirely. Uh, but I was like, I was looking around. People are talking about the expansion draft for Seattle and who to protect, and like a lot, people are like throwing Yarncroke on that list, and I'm like, why? How are we a fourth line? This? A fourth line defensive defensive forward, like. Yeah. Why are we still doing this? Like, I think it would be. I, I honestly, I kind of hope that happens. I think that would be hilarious for David Poyle to consecutive expansion drafts protect Calhoun over some yeah. other, uh, you know, manageable offensive forward. Yeah, but I think that would be so funny. But to Dan's to Dan's question, I I want to. Yeah, I, I think so in some ways. Because well, let me Ryan actually. Johan- let me finish hey, the question. Real quick. I don't. I didn't actually get the question out there, but um, oh, I read it earlier. I'm. I'm creating false memories. Yeah. Let me. Let me go. Let me. Let me finish the question here. Uh. So he he's long held the theory that left-handed winger would unlock Johansson's shooting and allow him to play in front of the net as opposed to skating in circles looking for Swedes. With Forsberg and Granlund on Duchesne's line, would putting Ellie Tolvanen with 
Johansson put both in a position to succeed. Um, so there you go. That, that's the, that's the question. Go ahead. So we're, we're thinking about a line of Johansson, Tolvanen, and yeah. uh, who's, who's the other winger? Who's, who would else, who, would it be Cunning? Would it be? I, I'm guessing Arvidsson is Arvidsson? the other one for me. Yeah. Uh, so here, here's the challenge um, is I, you know, I think Johansson wants to be and should be a playmaking center. Yeah, you yeah. you actually, I in my opinion, want him circling the ice because centers have more responsibility. He needs to be able to do a little bit more, and if he's locked in front of the net, I, I think he's stymied a little bit. Yeah. So I I do agree that having um, shooters who can get better angles in the net is going to help Johansson because it gives him more options for distribution, and it gives the opposing team two threats plus Ryan Johansson they have to worry about now. So I, I agree with the idea of adding the left-hand winger. I don't agree about, about uh, Johansson being positioned in front of the net. And that's why I asked who's the other player. Because if it's Arvidsson, you know, Arvidsson's a mystery to me at this point. It seems like he's either positioning himself in front of the net or taking slap shots. And <laughs> he's just like a really kind of, at this point, a, like a crappy Patrick Hornquist. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And, you know, I, I, that's disappointing to say because he looked like he was going to be on fire. But that, I mean, he's a shot volume player. I mean, I think um, I think the difference, it, you just said it right there. I think that the lack of LaViolette, yeah. I think LaViolette was rocket fuel for Victor Arvidsson. And yeah, because he said, he said, Arvi, you, you get into the spot you want, you take the hard, you take the shot you want and just do it 50 yeah. times a game, you know? Which is uh, like, I mean, maybe, maybe this is too early to say this, but... Is Victor Arvidsson, is he a trade bait? Is he, I, mean, is I he, think, you know, if you send him to a team that, that says we contract. think we can fix him, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, you can send it, if you send, if you find the right trade partner, I think it could be really attractive and you could maybe do a mutually beneficial trade, you know, for players oh. who, oh, we need a guy who does shot quality. And be like, oh, we need a shot quality guy. Like, do the Predators yeah. have a sophistication to differentiate between a shot quality guy and a shot volume guy? I don't think they do. I mean, think about a team like, hmm. Well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to suggest about any teams that might be. Involved. That can be, yeah. When the, when the, if the team's wheels are really coming off in a, in a couple of weeks, we can have yeah. trade conversations. Yeah, we, can, we can talk about that. There's but still I, time to recover. Certainly, sounds like uh, someone that would be. Yeah, I think Dan's got a good point. A big return. D- Dan's got a good point, but I, I, uh, <clears throat> I think it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't solve all the offensive problems. Uh, even if I, even if I think it's a step in the right direction. To the point about Tolvanen that he makes, I think Tolvanen looks a little bit better. I think he looks a little bit more involved, a little bit faster, a little bit more physical. He's not he's not there yet. It's not it's not quite where you need it, but definitely better than when he when he debuted and and yeah. the few games that he's played. He does. I mean, he has moments where he still looks a bit passive, but not but certainly not in his first few rollouts when when yeah. he really looked a little bit like he was expecting everyone else to do the work for him. Right, and that's just from adjusting to the AHL, adjusting to North American hockey, adjusting to not being the the elite player on the ice. It, it's the transition a lot of guys have to go through because when you're in a junior league or you're in a league that that you're better than, you're mm-hmm. the you're the guy. But when you go to the yeah. NHL, in NHL, you're not the guy anymore unless you are, you know. Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby, you know, where you're, where you're one of the best of the best of the best. Right. Um, 
But I, yeah. I really like what I'm seeing from you see a lot more effort. You see a lot more thought in his movement. Uh, I, certainly, I get I get more from him than I get from from Hala or Cunning right now. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. just I, well, I'll forever advocate for just stop playing Hala. There's no purpose to putting him on the ice. You have better players available. Stop playing Hala. You heard it here, folks. Stop playing Hala. Let's go ahead and talk about the rest of the week. I, I just touched on this. We don't. We're not going to go into it too much. But the Predators play four games this week. They play Tampa back to back at home. That's going to be tough. They play Monday and Tuesday, and then they get their first uh, look at Detroit on Thursday and Saturday. So four games this week. Um, get look. They 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 need points any way they can get them. Uh, I, I said earlier they only had two regulation wins. If they got shootout winners every game this week, that would be they, they would take it, right? I mean, they, there's they need points. They need st- points in the standings is what they need. Well, let me just say, so I I have not watched a shootout in this will be my third season. So when the shootout when when overtime ends, I turn the TV off. I don't really? watch the shootout. I hate shootouts. I think they're stupid, and I'm not going to watch them. Is this just like a, a, a one-man boycott kind of thing? Yeah. No, yeah, it's the one-man boycott. Like, um, yeah, but not really a meaningful one. <laughs> uh, but I just, I so hate the shootout. And I, I also, <laughs> man, three-on-three three bums me out these days. It's very different, isn't it? Like it, it, like it was so good for the first couple seasons, and yeah. now it is so cagey. Yeah, Te- teams have wised up. They just yeah, know, like, it's just hold it. It is super defensive, and then it's yeah. over. Yeah, uh, it, they need to adjust it. it. It's teams have adjusted. It's now it's now stale, and um, and uh, it's a, it's a stalemate is what it is because yeah. it, teams, teams know is if they turn the puck over, the game's probably over. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you you either need to say we're gonna do we're gonna try three on three and four on four ot until someone wins and make it make them end it like or i know this this is not gonna go well with some people but go back to go back to go back to draws ties oh don't don't you don't you flirt with me like that alex (laughs) um people are three three two one point point spread that's what i want i want that three two one yep three for a win two for a draw one for a loss is that what you're saying uh, it's yeah, it's um, yeah, three points for a win, and then uh, in overtime, the winner gets two, the loser gets one, so that there's there's ah. every game is worth the same number of points. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. don't have extra like games that go over overtime gain points, and I think it mess it. I know why they do it. It creates a full sense of parity. Um, but I I think yeah. you know that's a great point. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. That. All right, you can check out all, all of our hockey coverage at a to z sports Follow me on Twitter at AlexDarty1. Follow Link on Twitter at 3DLink. Uh, Link, do you have any uh, final thoughts for us today? You had a good one last week. Uh, mostly right now, I'm thinking about puppies, so no no thoughts. I'm actually, we're picking out, we should be in the next couple of days picking out our, our new puppy. Oh. We'll be coming, with, coming to join the house at the end of this month. That's exciting. Uh, so I'm mostly thinking about puppies. That is a good thing to think about, and especially with the awful hockey that you're watching. Just 
a much more exciting and uh, lovable thing to think about. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll start every time the Predators give up a goal, I take a picture of a puppy and post it to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, we will see everyone next week. Thanks for listening.